Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. Jesus is enough. Hey, I'm Derek Levandusky. Welcome to the digital stream of our Sunday message at Redeeming Hope. So thankful that you would join us today as we continue our series, A Firm Foundation. Uh, Pastor Josh uh, started off the series the last two weeks talking about family and following and how important those two things are in our church culture. And today I'm talking about finding, which is actually in our church mission statement, which says, we exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others to find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. So I'll be continuing today with this topic of this idea of finding. There's a story that's told of a man on death row in England in the early 1900s. And his day came. He was being marched down the corridor to his doom. And um, as he's walking along, a chaplain is there reading out of, you know, a religious book about the coming uh, judgment and and heaven and hell. And, and as they're walking along there, the, the convicted murderer stops in the corridor and he turns to the chaplain and he says, do you really believe that? He said, what do you mean, my son? He said, do you really believe that if I don't believe in your God, that I am gonna be judged and, and sent to hell forever? And the chaplain said, I do believe that. It's in the Bible, it's true. And listen to what the convicted killer said. He said, if I believed like you did, I would crawl on my knees across England on broken glass to tell one soul. If I believed like you did, crawl on my knees across England on broken glass to tell one soul. And I think what he said ought to give us pause to maybe take a moment of introspection and say, Do I believe? Lord, help me with my unbelief. Help me to believe the gospel so deeply that I'm motivated to be on mission with you, that I'm motivated to be finding, to to seek and to save the lost as Jesus did. And we see the heart of God and the heart of Jesus in Luke chapter 15. We have two texts we're gonna look at today, starting with Luke 15. As this text talks about three lost items, I'm actually not going to read the story of the lost son, the prodigal son, but I'm going to read the first two stories and then stop and make some comments. Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man among you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, this is Jesus speaking, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Then he tells another story. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? 
And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I ask that your heart would be ours. That as Paul said, the love of Christ compels me. So I persuade men. I pray the same would be what compels us. Not religious duty, moralism, legalism, none of those things. We'd be motivated by love. Because we've been loved, we would love others. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this whole text begins with uh, the, the, the context of, of where Jesus said these things, where Jesus told these stories. And it says, now the tax collectors and sinners are drawing near to him and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling. So you have, <clears throat> here you have um, irreligious sinners and religious sinners all together in Jesus' hearing. And Jesus tells these stories to show his heart and the Father's heart for those who are lost in irreligion, in irreligious sin. And then in the prodigal son story, uh, we see two lost sons. One represents, um, you know, the, the irreligious sinner, the, the younger son. And one re represents the, the religious sinner, the older son, who uh, we find in the story, both of them had their hearts separated from the father. One's heart was separated from the father in the story because of his good deeds. And one's, uh, I'm sorry, his bad deeds. And one's heart, the older son's heart, was separated from the father because of his good deeds. And so we find this that religion and irreligion can both keep you just as far from God as the other. And so these two stories that I did read, the lost sheep and the lost coin, what we see is that the lostness of the treasured item, the sheep or the coin, warranted an all-out search. Like, no more business as usual. It is time to go find the lost sheep or the lost coin. And then the third story, which, of course, I didn't read, but the familiar story of the prodigal son, the lost son, it seems that the wisdom of the father in that story is to wait. Um, and I think sometimes when, when believers are straying from God's family, and, and think of the story, the prodigal son was never not a son in the story. He was, he was a child of the father. Sometimes when believers are straying from God's family, if they resist, the wisdom of the father sometimes is to wait and pray. And so certainly we can apply... Uh, the idea of the younger son to the, I think, to the irreligious, certainly, but also to a religious person who is just straying from the faith. Um, there's a time when it's, it's good to just wait and pray and let the discipline of God work in their lives as, as it did in the younger son in that story. But I really want to look at this idea of the lost sheep and the lost coin and this idea of this all-out search heart, this all-out search, this missionary heart. Because one thing is clear in all of the stories, and that is that Jesus is a missionary and Jesus loves sinners. And love demands an all-out search. You know, uh, when my daughter Joy was, I don't know, four, three or four years old, we, uh, we lived in New York at the time and, and uh, wanted to go see uh, the thoroughbred horses at the Saratoga racetrack. And so we went on a day, there was like 50,000 people there. I mean, just packed, big, you know, big racing day. And uh, we went and found a, a spot, you know, out in the, out in the uh, sort of the, the concourse courtyard out, you know, by, by the track, out in the open area where people are sitting and picnicking. 
we kind of made our way in. <clears throat> and when we got there, I turned around and I start counting my kids. And I got six kids and I count one, two, three, four, five. Where's number six? And I realize that joy is lost. And I look back at this sea of people and I know my daughter's out there somewhere. And any parent that has lost a child in a situation like that, the, the terror and the panic that just hits you so quickly. And I began to run back from where we had walked in. And uh, I, I just began to scream her name, joy, joy. And I'm, I'm yelling her name and I'm pushing people out of the way looking for my daughter. And uh, suddenly my eyes fell on her and the relief, the, the gratitude, you know, the, the embrace. Um, why, I love my daughter. I mean, can you imagine if I was like, to my wife, if I was like, ah, we got, we got five more kids. We got five right here. You know, how many, what percentage is 80 something percent of our kids are here? Uh, you know, we're good. We got, what's the big deal? We lost one. The reason it's a big deal is because each one has value. Each one is worthy of an all out search. And remember, based on what we've already talked about here from the scriptures, there's more than one way to be lost. You can be lost outside God's law, but you can also be lost inside God's law if you see God's law as a way to fix yourself or a way to save you. The Bible says no one will be justified by the law. Rather, the law makes us conscious of sin. The religious leaders that resisted Jesus were just as lost as the irreligious sinners that came to Jesus in their sin. So our mission here at Redeeming Hope is not just to reach the irreligious sinners. Sometimes when we talk about finding and going, we, we think of just, you know, unbelievers, the, the irreligious, and we need to go to those people over there. But actually, when we're talking about reaching the lost, we're also talking about reaching people who are lost in what you might call Southern religious legalism. Like the Pharisees, who, who see God's rules and God's laws and, and the morality of Scripture as a way to mend and fix and heal ourselves, when that is not the gospel at all. No one will be declared righteous by observing the law. Rather, the law makes us conscious of our sin. So we're on mission here. We're finding. And that is the heart of the Father in scripture that we see from cover to cover. Matter of fact, I've heard that it was said that if you take missions out of the Bible, all you'd have left are the covers. Because the gospel story is a story of a missionary God pursuing his lost creation through Jesus Christ. And his missionary heart took him all the way to a cross. And in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see this come full circle as Jesus comes on a missionary journey through the manger, he reaches out you know, and rescues his disciples. And in the middle of that part of the story, he meets a disciple named Simon who becomes Peter. And Simon says to Jesus, go away, I'm a sinful man, I'm too sinful, I, I, I'm not worthy of you. And Jesus says to him, fear not, for I will make you a fisher of men. So the first thing Jesus does is foretell that Peter himself would become a missionary, seeking to find lost souls just as Jesus is doing. And Jesus has his earthly ministry, he dies, he resurrects, and he sends those disciples out to continue the mission when he says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And like he called the disciples, he calls all of us. He calls all of us to imitate him. You are not a mature disciple until your life is on mission with Jesus' mission. 
It happens as we follow him, just as Josh talked about last week. It's impossible to follow Jesus and eventually not be moved by his heart. And his heart is that missionary heart that brought him to this world to rescue his church. So today we're actually going to pick up the conversation in the second text that we're reading. We're going to pick up the conversation with his disciples that happens right after the text of Scripture that Josh used last week to, dis- to discuss following, because the next thing Jesus talks about, right after he says those things to the disciples, is he talks about finding. And here we are in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 9. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead, on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in that same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Well, first of all, Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. I want you to know that there's nothing wrong with the harvest. Nothing wrong with the harvest in Clarksville. The problem is the same problem it's been since the days of Christ. The laborers are few. And Jesus wants us to be laborers. He wants to form us to be fishers of men like he did Peter. And here in this text, I believe he shows us how. How can we reach out to lost people? Now go back to the story of the 99 sheep uh, that the shepherd leaves to go find the one lost one. You know, in that story, you might say you have this sort of gathering of found sheep, and then you have that, that one lost sheep that's gone. So you have this sort of congregation of found sheep, and then you have this sort of congregation of one of lost sheep, or, or maybe there's several lost sheep. And I say that to say, I think what Jesus is teaching us here in Luke chapter 10 is how to pastor or shepherd lost sheep back into the fold. He's teaching us how to be pastors of lost sheep. Now, you probably wouldn't think of yourself as a pastor, a lot of you, um, and yet, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says, God has given the prophet, apostle, pastor, evangelist, and teacher to equip the saints for works of service. In other words, the job of the pastor, which I'm one of those, is, Jesus is one of those, is to impart the pastor's heart to God's people and reproduce that heart in God's people and train people how to do that. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's teaching us how to pastor lost sheep. Five ways he teaches us to pastor lost sheep. And here they are, ready? Pray bless, fellowship, meet felt needs, and preach. Pray, bless, fellowship, meet felt needs, and preach. Now, the last one there is preach, right? Pray, bless, fellowship, meet felt needs, and preach. And I think sometimes when we think of evangelism and evangelism training that has been done, you know, in the Western church, I think all we think of is this. And if you're listening on a podcast, I, I closed down four of my fingers and I only have my thumb up. We only think of number five. We only think of preaching. We only think of the last one. 
So we learn, you know, how to share our faith, and sometimes, you know, it's sometimes it can be, it can almost feel manipulative. Like you create these trap conversations where people give the right answers, and then, you know, uh, you you tell them that they're, uh, well, actually, people would give the wrong answers. You tell them that they're wrong, and tell them what the gospel really is, and, and then God can use all that. Okay, but but it can feel very contrived, and sometimes it can feel manipulative, and and it can almost turn evangelism into, let me get this message off my chest, almost like a guilt trip. And I, I think the reason that it can feel like that is we've, we've forgotten that Jesus himself taught us that there's four other th- components, things that we should involve in the process of shepherding lost sheep, of pastoring lost sheep. Pray, bless, fellowship, meet felt needs, and preach. So let's talk about each one. Pray. Let's go back to the text and look at what Jesus says about praying. He says, therefore, pray earnestly, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. God is in control of this harvest. God is sovereign in this harvest. Pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Prayer immediately puts us in a posture of humility where we recognize the sovereignty of God and salvation. Again, what is Jesus called here? The Lord of the harvest. He is in control of the harvest. He's the captain of the harvest. He oversees the the construction of the salvation of sinners. He's the foreman. He oversees the plan. And prayer recognizes that. Prayer recognizes things that the scriptures say overtly, like John 6, 44, Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except the Spirit draws them. And he says, I myself will raise them up on the last day. And so that tells us that it's the Father who draws them, not me and my cleverness or you know me having the script down or anything like that. It's the Father working powerfully and supernaturally and sovereignly in the heart of a lost person. John 15, 5, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Zechariah 4, 12 says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. What do all those scriptures tell us? What's the common denominator? The common denominator is you can't, he can. You wouldn't, he would. You are weak, he is strong. And so that puts us in a posture of prayer, that if anybody is going to come to Christ, it requires a supernatural work of grace in the heart of the person. Therefore, we ought to pray that God would supernaturally work in them. So prayer is a big part of seeing people come to Christ. Somehow God has has included us in in the process of them coming to Christ by praying. And what do we pray? Pray the Lord of the harvest would send out workers. In other words, that the Lord would send people to love them in word and in deed, to, to people to preach the gospel to them. And even as I pray that, I can feel a little push on the back, can't you? There's a man named George Mueller, <clears throat> the great hero of England, was responsible for some 3,000 orphans in his lifetime, man of prayer. And he prayed for five of his friends to come to Christ. And the first four, came to Christ, you know, within a few years after he started praying for them. But number five was a holdout. He was a stubborn, ornery old cuss. And um, he just, he wouldn't budge. And so a friend of George Mueller's said to him one day, you're still praying for that guy? You actually think he's going to come to Christ? And listen to what George Mueller said. He said, How can he not come to Christ? I'm praying for him. How can he not come to Christ? I'm praying for him. 
you see the faith in George Mueller's heart? George Mueller uh, had a high view of salvation. His, he, he had, he, his theology was reformed. And yet he believed that because God had moved on his heart to pray for this guy, that it was God's sovereign will that this guy would come to Christ. And, and so it was impossible for him to think of it any other way. And as the end of the story goes, at George, George Mueller's funeral, number five, knelt down and received the Lord Jesus Christ as his savior. Pray, pray. We need God to move. We need a God-sized thing to happen in the hearts of these lost sheep that we're reaching out to. Okay, number two, bless. Verse five, Jesus said, whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. So what is this idea of blessing? It's just a, a generous, hospitable, compassionate attitude of the heart. A generous, hospitable, compassionate attitude of the heart. You know, Luke 7 tells us a story. I'm just going to paraphrase it for you because, you know, otherwise we'd spend the whole message just reading scripture. But there's a story in Luke 7 where Jesus is invited over to the house of a, of a Pharisee, a very elite uh, religious person named Simon. I don't know his motive. I don't know if he wanted to trap Jesus or if he thought it would look good for him to have this popular teacher rabbi at his house. But he has Jesus over. And while Jesus is there reclining at the table with him over dinner, a sinful woman walked into the room. She was, um, she was a prostitute, known to be a sinner. And she begins to weep over Jesus' feet, and she takes her hair, and she's wiping her tears off of his feet with her hair. Just, just a sign of brokenness and humility. And the Bible says that Simon thought to himself if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is, that she's a sinner. <laughs> I love what it says next. Jesus answered him. Oops, you be careful what you think about Jesus because he'll just answer your thoughts. Jesus answered and said to him, and Jesus tells this story, and I'm gonna paraphrase a uh, little, little bit of an Italian flair. Right, so Jesus says, hey Simon, there are two guys. Both owed another guy a lot of money. One owed a lot of money, one owed less money, a little bit of money. And so the guy who was, for, who was owed the money forgave the other guys their debts. So which of the guys who were forgiven the debts will love the forgiver more? Simon wanted to answer correctly, and he says, well, I suppose the one who's forgiven the greater debt. I don't know why he had a British accent, but he must have that, you know, I guess that sort of arrogant, you know, uh, English elite, the aristocracy. I suppose the one who's forgiven the greater debt. Jesus says, right answer, Simon. Right answer. He said, you know what, Simon, since I came in here, you haven't given me a bowl to wash my hands or my feet, but this woman, since she's come in here, has not ceased to wipe my feet with her hair and tears. He says, therefore I say to you, he who is forgiven much, loves much. And he's referring to the woman at his feet. And then he looks right into Simon's soul and he says, he who is forgiven little loves little. Now the message is not, you better sin a lot so that you can love God a lot because if you sin a lot, you'll be forgiven more and love God more. That's not the message. The message is that Simon didn't realize that he was just like this woman. He thought he had less sin. 
so he loved less and loved little. And he failed to see that his sin was just as gross, twisted, deep, and obvious to the Father as this woman's sin was. And you see, when you realize you're a rescued person, you become a compassionate person. Rescued people are compassionate people. You can't not be compassionate when you see people who need the same rescue that you needed, that you realize that you have in Christ. So Simon apparently didn't think he needed the same rescue that this woman had. We all get the same grace. You and I don't get a, Simon doesn't get a different grace than the prostitute. We all get the same grace. And so God wants us to have an attitude of blessing toward people. You know, because I realize that I'm a sinner saved by grace, I can sit at the same table with the religious elite and I can sit at the same table with addicts and drunkards and prostitutes and treat them the same way because I'm just a rescued person. And so that gives us an attitude of blessing. We say, peace, peace to this house. The third thing Jesus says, is, he teaches, is to fellowship. In Luke, in Luke 10, 7 and 8, he says, remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Now, the idea there is count, count by ones. I know you want to see a million people get saved, but focus on the people that God has put in front of you. Don't go from house to house. And he says, eat and drink what they give you. Interact with them. Build relationship with them. Fellowship with them. Jesus wants us to be like him, the friend of sinners. But I think a lot of times the culture of the Western church is believing before belonging. Believing before belonging. But the culture of the gospel is belonging before believing. Jesus welcomed sinners to come to him even before they were his disciples. He loved them. He reached out to them. You know, in the fourth and fifth century, uh, St. Patrick had been part of the uh, Roman Catholic Church. And in his day, there was, there was a lot of monasteries. Monasteries were an objection to society where you sort of withdraw from society and, um, and live your life in seclusion to honor God. But St. Patrick, who had been abducted by the Celts, uh, a barbaric people at the time who ate meat and fought naked, um, St. Patrick wanted to reach the Celts. So he turned that idea of, of monasteries on its head and he created what he called monastic societies where he went back to the Celtic people and he established villages that would be God-centered. And he would welcome people to come and live in that village as long as they... Um, followed through with, and got in line with everyone else, sort of living this God-centered life uh, around everything. Everything would be devoted to God. And many, many Celts came to a saving knowledge of Christ through these monastic villages and monastic societies. And that model was repeated over and over and over again in the Celtic Empire to the point where um, the majority of the Celts, uh, by the end of St. Patrick's life, had received Christ. Why? He created, a society, he created villages where you could belong before you believed. And that's what it means to be the friend of sinners. I love you regardless of even whether or not you become a Christian. You are my friend. I love you. I'm committed to you. I'm loyal to you. And my heart is for you. That's a true friend. We allow them to belong before they believe. And in the process of that relationship, people 
we, we have opportunities to bring Christ to people. But the problem is, if, if our message is, come to the church and, uh, and before you really belong, uh, you have to believe. The, the problem is there's several gaps that um, not yet Christians have to cross before they become uh, followers of Jesus. You have, number one, the relational gap. If people don't have a, a friend, um, a relationship in the church, it's very difficult for them to feel compelled to stay. Number two, the cultural gap. You know, I mean, some people have never been to church and more, more and more so in a post modern post-Christian society, uh, people, you know, they don't, the, the whole idea of the Christian culture is, is, uh, is an anomaly to them. It's, it's, it's something they've never experienced. And so there's this cultural gap where we sing songs and we open the Bible and hear preaching and we hug each other and, you know, we, we talk certain ways about scriptures. And there's this culture gap that people have to cross. And then number three, there's the gospel gap just the gap of belief, the gap of seeing the, per, the personal implications of the gospel and believing it. And so we, we need to pray for people that they can cross the relational gap, cross the cultural gap, cross the gospel gap. Well, as we fellowship with people and we create relationships with people, we help them cross uh, the first gap, the relational gap. And, and then we, through relationship and through them interacting with us and maybe us explaining to them the Christian life, we can help them cross that cultural gap. And of course, as we share the gospel with them, they can cross the gospel gap. But at least if people come and visit our churches and they have a relationship, we've helped them cross that relational gap already. Jesus says fellowship, belonging before believing. Now, how do we do this? <clears throat> well, I wanna challenge you um, to find out what you enjoy doing and do those things with not yet Christians. What do you like doing? That, that, that's God's gift, mission, that's God's missionary gift to you to get into society and interact with people who like the same thing and, and, uh, and reach them for Christ. So find things you like to do and do it with people who don't know Jesus. And sometimes we have to embrace the challenge and, and, and the reality that some of us get stuck in the Christian bubble of, you know, we go to we go to a group and then we, we interact with Christians on Sunday. We have our Christian friends. And you know now in the Western world, we've got Christian t-shirts and Christian doctors and Christian insurance companies and Christian toilet paper. We need to leave the bubble. We need to be missionaries back out of the Christian bubble, some of us, into the real world. And one of the easiest ways to do that is through affinity. Find things you like to do and do it with people who don't know Jesus. So, Pray, bless, just a compassionate attitude, fellowship. We build relationships with people. Meet felt needs. Look back in verse nine. Jesus says, heal the sick in it. It's like up to this point, like I can do what Jesus has been instructing, you know, for the most part. I mean, I can, I can pray. I can, I can try to have an attitude of blessing toward people. Of course, I need a work of God in my heart to do that. But yeah, I, I can do that. It's not... It doesn't feel supernatural to uh, say peace be with you. Um, I can fellowship with people. I can, you know, create time in my life and schedule for relationships. And all of a sudden, Jesus drops this right in the middle of it and heal the sick. I can't do that. I don't have the power to do that. I'm, I'm not the healer. I'm not a healer. So Le Jesus builds into the power, builds into evangelism, the power of the Holy Spirit. He builds into evangelism the necessity for the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, people don't know that their greatest need is salvation. They think their greatest need is, you know, this, this 
relational conflict I'm having or marital strife or family strife or a financial problem that I'm having. People don't know that their greatest need is uh, salvation. And so here it is right here. We can use the crisis moments in the lives of unbelievers to advertise Jesus through prayer, or maybe it is just a practical expression of serving them. So through prayer and service, we can meet people's felt needs and that can eventually open their eyes to their greatest need, which is salvation. Reminds me of a story of some pastors running through the airport on their way to an airplane and they, they toppled over an apple cart that was being run by a blind girl. And uh, they just, they were gonna be late for their plane so they just kept running, except for one pastor, he's like, I'm gonna miss my plane, but I can't do it. I, I can't do it. I can't just leave this blind girl to pick up these apples off the concourse, you know, tile floor of the airport. So he went back and he helped her put everything back together and, you know, he helped get the cart set back up and the girl was just weeping and, you know, she's upset. And finally, after he helped her, she said to him, she said, are you Jesus? <laughs> I love that. See what happened? Through meeting her felt need, she accused him or she mistook him for Jesus. And I think that's what happens as we, as we come alongside of someone in crisis. And sometimes it's as simple as saying, can I pray for you? I believe, I believe in a God who hears prayer, a God who works, a God who heals. Can I pray for you? And just stop, drop, and pray right there. I just did it the other day. Just, just pray for them. Ask God to work in their lives. Watch how God uses that. Or just a practical need that they have. Need a ride to an airport. Knocked over the apple cart. Are you Jesus? We meet their felt needs, and that glorifies and points to Jesus Christ. I remember praying for a woman in a gas station. She was the owner of a gas station, and she was stung by a bee, and her hand swelled up like a, like a water balloon, and I prayed for her, and God healed her hand. And she said, uh, she, she knew I was from the local church, and she said, you're gonna make a believer out of me. You see what happened when I prayed for her and met her felt need? It immediately pointed to Jesus. And so we meet felt needs through prayer and through acts of kindness and service. And then finally, Jesus teaches us to preach. So pray, bless, fellowship, meet felt needs, and preach. Here's what Peter said, this fisher of men. Here's what he said about preaching. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. First of all, there is no permission and no uh, context in scripture where we are ever told to be rude and mean and arrogant and in, in any way. We're to, we're to share Christ with gentleness and respect. But we're also told to be prepared. Are you prepared? If somebody came up to you right now and said, what do you believe? Could you explain it to them? What's the gospel? What do you mean gospel? What does that mean? Could you explain it to them? You know, maybe uh, sometime soon we can have Pastor Josh go over um, this, this tool called Three Circles, which is this, this great little, uh, easy little uh, three-circle story that you can tell to explain the story of God, the story of Jesus, the story of salvation. I've used it. Josh has used it. It's a very powerful little tool that you can use. If anybody ever asked you, um, what do you believe? What does it mean that Jesus died on the cross? Uh, so maybe, uh, maybe we can have Pastor Josh do that soon for us in, in one of our upcoming services because I think it's a great tool. Another thing I want to encourage you to do is um, ride the spirit-led teeter-totter of, of spirit-led listening and spirit-led questions. 
listen to people and, and try to detect by the Holy Spirit what is their greatest need, what is their felt need, what is going on in their lives, and then ask God to give you spirit-led questions that will open the door for spiritual conversations. Questions like, what is your spiritual background? Have you ever gone to church before? What do you, how do you find comfort in difficult times? What do you think is wrong with the world today? What will it take for you to feel at rest from your anxiety? With all this brokenness around us, do you feel that there's any hope for mankind? Who do you think Jesus is? See, those can be spirit-led questions that you just drop into a conversation. Open the door uh, to a spiritual conversation with someone as we are led by the Spirit. So pray, bless, fellowship, meet felt needs, and preach. That's how, we, that's how we shepherd and pastor lost sheep. And it happens over time as we build relationship and build trust with people. Now, just a few more things I'd like to say about the mission that we have here at Redeeming Hope. Number one, remember who you are right now. If you're part of Redeeming Hope, I want you to think of yourself as a missionary, right? A missionary, not a consumer. Sometimes when churches get older and get more established, you know, you have a lot more people coming that are just, uh, you know, that sort of that consumer mentality where I'm just going to come and be part of this church. And, and it's not all bad, but people can just come and hear the teaching and receive from the ministry, and that can be a wonderful thing. But... Um, in a, in a church plant like ours, in a season like we're in, where we're, we're, we're a growing, you know, young toddler church plant, we need people thinking like missionaries. And that's important because if you switch from thinking like a missionary to thinking like a consumer, I can usually start the clock that it's about, it'll be about three to six months before you'll, you'll probably leave the church because, well, I don't like the kids' ministry, or I don't like, uh, I, I'd like more of this, or I'd like more of that. And the, the plain fact is, in a church planting season, we are not fully established. We're not firing on all cylinders. There's a lot of things we're growing in. We don't have the personnel uh, that, that we ultimately need. We're always struggling to find volunteers. And so if you think like a missionary, you'll be able to tolerate <laughs> a lot of the things that maybe are not firing on all cylinders and are not perfect in the church plant. So I want you to think like a missionary, that God has sent you to us and he sovereignly put you here right now with us so that you can be part of the next thing that God is doing with us and that is whatever God is doing here in 2023 as we move forward with this church here in Clarksville. Uh, and number two, remember who we are and that's related to number one, uh, that the whole new church mentality versus being an established church. We're still a new church, we're still growing and uh, there's a lot that's not gonna be awesome um, for a while. Um, but we need to, you know what is awesome? Jesus, and you know what is awesome? The gospel, and you know what is awesome? You and our church family and the friendships and the relationships we have, and so let's, let's move together. Number three, I wanna encourage you to give yourself and your resources to the mission that Jesus has us on to be finding, that, that mission of finding. You know, we don't teach Old Testament tithing here in the sense that you're under the curse of Malachi if you don't give 10% of your income and you know your, your, uh, your bank account's gonna drain out and your, and your shoes are gonna wear out and your refrigerator's gonna break. Um, we don't teach, you know, sort of manipulate, we don't sort of manipulate people into giving with, with fear of curses like that here at Redeeming Hope. We teach New Testament generosity and faith that you know, we are not to give under compulsion. We're to give out of faith. We're to give out of worship and gratitude and uh, we want to encourage you to give yourself, your time, and your resources to the mission of the church for the sake of the gospel as we grow together in this city. We believe that giving is not only an act of worship, but it's an act of mission. That we believe in what God is doing through this church to spread the name and fame of Jesus across Clarksville and Middle Tennessee. I also want to uh, let you know that we're part of 
uh, several movements that are on mission. Uh, we're part of a movement called Converge. Uh, it's a movement of churches that are working together to build one another up and support one another as we plant churches and, and preach Jesus in cities all across America. Acts 29, uh, I've been assessed through Acts 29 and uh, that's a network that I've been with for 12 years. And Acts 29 is, is, an, is a church movement that is aggressively planting churches all across the world, gospel-centered churches and building up and encouraging pastors and encouraging churches to be on mission, on the mission of finding. And so we're part of you know, two really big movements that are, that are engaged in this idea of finding through evangelism, missions, and church planting all across the world. We're also part of a movement called uh, CPCN, Churches Planting Churches Network, which is uh, out of the River Church in Cookville. We appreciate those brothers so much. They've supported us for several years. We just had a meeting with them this week, and when we get together, we're just talking about how can we reach people for Jesus? How can we be on mission? How can we encourage our people to be on mission? So I just want you to know that if you're here at Redeeming Hope, you're part of something that's bigger than... Uh, than you are and than I am and that this one church is. We're part of several movements that are doing wonderful things around Middle Tennessee and around the world. And finally, personal application, just three quick thoughts. Number one, I wanna encourage you to count by ones. You know, maybe you don't have a vision for a thousand people. Maybe that overwhelms you. Just get a vision for one and begin to pray and bless and fellowship and meet felt needs and preach and be on mission to find them. Number two, pray for them. You know, engage in prayer. Commit to praying for them every single day. Lift them up before the Lord. And then finally, number three, engage in this mission of pastoring lost sheep the way that Jesus taught us. Isn't it wonderful? You know, we don't just, we don't have to be part of what God is doing. We get to. We get to serve Jesus. We get to be a part of what God is doing in 2023 here in Middle Tennessee and in Clarksville. And I'm so thankful that I get to do it. And I get to do it with my friends. I get to do it with Josh and Rachel, my wife. I get to do it with you uh, that attend our church, you that are supporting us from afar. So thankful for all that God is doing. Uh, please be praying for us as we continue this mission of finding, reaching out to those, obeying the great commission of Christ to go into all the world right here in Clarksville. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. Help that love to move us into action as God so loved the world that he gave. Let us so love our world that we give as well. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Until next time, remember my favorite saying, Jesus is enough. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.